just as I'm getting ready, um, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're trying to get someone's attention? What is it that you, what's your go-to? Yesterday morning, I was thinking I was really great getting to Tesco early to um, get my weekly shopping done. I had roped my daughter into going early. She doesn't like doing that. But I was feeling really smug. But as I was driving into Tesco's, guess who was driving out? Paul, your assistant pastor. He'd already done his shopping. So I'm flicking the lights. Nothing. I'm waving at him. Nothing. He was on a mission. He was the one who had done his shopping. He had, he'd got the whole weekend ahead of himself. And I tried to get his attention, but it didn't work. Or when my children get my attention, if you've got children of a certain age, they just keep texting. Even when I'm at work, they'll send texts. I have to turn the noise off. And if the texts don't work, they send emojis. And if the emojis don't work, they send memes. And they keep going and they keep going. And here's the big idea. This morning, as Mark has already alluded to, God wants to get our attention through that passage that was beautifully read in Isaiah 8. God always wants us wants to get our attention through his word. And in this passage, I think he does it even better than texts or emojis or memes. He doesn't need to rely on such things. Let me just pray and then we'll open the scriptures again. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So um, I've been invited back, thank you very much, uh, elders of King Fisher Church, to uh, open the word with you again, and you're in an Advent series, I think, is this the second week? That's the normal way, and Advent, Advent just means the coming of the, the Lord from the Latin Adventus, and um, just to set this up, you could argue that Advent, Advent, what we know of it, started way back, way, way back in eternity past. Um, I mean, you could even, if you just opened your Bible, you could even get a glimpse right at the beginning in Genesis 3. There's something going on. God has a plan to be with his people. But for the sake of brevity, I want to try and set the passage up. Um, and I'll take some shortcuts. The last time I was here, I preached uh, from the story of Abraham, and that was God's great promise to give him a great nation and a land. And, and things have progressed from there. Um, uh, God's people were in uh, being ruled over by judges. That didn't work out. They weren't too happy with that. Then they got kings. And I'm about now jumping to him about a thousand years before the birth of the Lord Jesus. Um, we have a king. We have a king. His name is David. And he, God has made him a covenant promise that uh, from, his, from his lineage, from his birth line, will be a, a kingdom that will endure forever. And um, so far, so good. Could jump forward 30 years. He, David, um, one of his sons is called Solomon, and he is the king. And he is ruling over one people, but cracks start to show. And around about his death, um, 930 years before um, the birth of the Lord Jesus, we learn that the, his kingdom has split into two. 
uh, the northern kingdom uh, gets to call itself Israel, and the southern kingdom gets to, uh, is called Judah. They coexist for around 200 years, if you're tracking with the timeline, but they're always fighting with one another. There's always something that they're not at peace with. And then we jump forward to where we are to 735-ish BC. And we met, Paul did a great job last week of introducing us to the prophet Isaiah. We meet him living in Jerusalem, uh, the capital city of Judah. And Judah is ruled um, by king, if you remember his name, Ahaz, who it happens is from the line of David. And last week, Paul told us, that, um, that King Ahaz was having serious trouble. Uh, he had noisy neighbors, Rezin uh, and uh, Ramalia, or sorry, Rezin and Pekah, son of Ramalia, basically Syria and uh, Israel, they were intent on, on sacking Jerusalem. They were intent on um, causing trouble, overthrowing King Ahaz and his uh, country. God sends Isaiah along with his son, uh, Shir Jashub, out to, to Ahaz to encourage him uh, to not be afraid. And this is the thing that Paul uh, really struck out to me. Do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Trust in the Lord. So you've got this picture of Isaiah going out with this. For those of us who are fathers, taking your son along to work. But the, 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 the name of this son, uh, Shir Jashub, means a remnant will return. Ahaz does not listen. Despite God speaking through Isaiah, um, inviting uh, King Ahaz to have a sign, he just doesn't listen. Um, it, it's a, it's a, there's a scene of false piety. He says he won't put the Lord to the test, but the Lord knows his heart. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And it's this great line that there will be a, a son born to a virgin. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah further warns King Ahaz, and this is where we're getting to the start of chapter 8. Isaiah further warns that God will even use Assyria, who Ahaz has gone into cahoots with, to show just how big a mistake Ahaz has made that this military might is, the, is not the solution to his fears, that in fact it is the Lord himself. So we begin at the beginning of chapter 8 um, with the most bizarre scene. Don't skip past that. You, we meet um, Isaiah again, and the Lord has told him, to um, make a sandwich board, if you like, or create this sign um, with these, this word or these words written on it, Mahershala Hashbaz. Hey, isn't that a great name? Mahershala Hashbaz, if you can say that. And you might struggle. If you're like me and you struggle, it took me many times to practice that. Does anybody like football, Premier League in here? Yes, a few of us, right? The easy way to remember Mahershala Hashbaz is Mo Salah likes hash browns. If you ever struggle to, to work it out, Mahar Shalah hash browns. But of course, it doesn't mean Mo Salah likes hash browns. It could be translated as swift are the spoils, speedy is the plunder. Swift are the spoils, speedy is the plunder. 
There's something going on in this name. Or the way that I've landed on it, quick pickings, easy prey. Isaiah trusts God, does exactly what he, he, he's been asked to do, and he gets two of his friends, two witnesses to, to verify his obedience. Not long after, he makes love to his wife, and they have a son, and the God says, you remember that name that I told you to write? That's what I want you to call your son. That's amazing. That's what I want you to call your son. Think about that for a minute. Imagine you're Isaiah and you're going for a, a, a meal with your neighbors and you say, hello, my name is Isaiah. His name means God is salvation. Well, that's pretty decent. That's pretty good. And this is my wife, Mrs. Isaiah. She's a prophetess. That's pretty good. And this is my first son, Shir Jashub. The remnant will return. That's pretty hopeful. That's pretty good. And here's my second son. Quick pickings, easy prey. What type of a dinner party would that turn into if you had a son that was casting aspersions, the name of, was casting aspersions on the decisions um, that Ahaz had made? So the word of God that was written actually becomes flesh in the son of um, Isaiah. You have this living, walking around person as a sign of warning to God's people, don't trust the way of the world because you're going to be in trouble. Did you see that? God's word, somehow, in a boy, it's pointing to something bigger. So let me ask you, what do you do or, or how does, what does it take to get your attention? What does God do to get your attention when you might have got off course? When you've not behaved in the way you should have done? Well, um, he's given us the law in, in the Old Testament, which is great. And he's, that's, that helps us to know right from wrong. But maybe some of you are like me. Has anybody got a car that speaks to them? Satnav, yeah, some people got satnav, yeah. Um, I also, in my car, I have a, much to the amusement of my teenage passengers, when I go over the speed limit, by one mile an hour, the car says to me, you are over the speed limit. <laughs> you are, and I mean by what, like I'm not joking, as soon as it switches from 40 to 30, it's like there's some invisible force field the car connects to and says, you are over the speed limit. And so I have to do the school run without that noise playing. You are over the speed limit so that my daughter doesn't poke fun at me. But what would you do if there was no warning? What do we do when God gives us a sign that we ignore? And, and if you're like me, if I don't have um, this voice telling me to slow down, what would it be to stop me? A blue light? A siren? A pursuit helicopter? Mahar Shalahashbaz is the equivalent of the warning voice in my car. 
to God's people, don't get off course. Don't trust the world. Trust me. And note the detail in verse 4. Before this child is able to say, mommy or daddy, Syria and Israel will actually become the prey of Assyria. Assyria, this, honestly, superpower of the day. Uh, If you want to know more about Assyria, there's a great uh, opportunity to see um, freezes on the wall of the British Museum in in London um, and get to an understanding of the might of this this nation at the time. Uh, Assyria... Uh, has this capital city Nineveh, which is, if to get you in, in the kind of understanding, if you don't know, was compared to Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was greater than. It, ha- it ha- was a military superpower. And, and this was like, what Ahaz was doing was like <clears throat> Russia trusting Nazi Germany to be a safe ally, only to be invaded by Nazi Germany. It was a big mistake. And as we go forward and we turn into verse five, the Lord speaks to Isaiah again. And you just then have some of the, oh, I just love the language to communicate God's truth in this, these next few verses. Because the people were not content. We learn that they have rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh, that source of water that um, God in his sovereignty had provided for the city of Jerusalem that apparently did flow gently into the city. They had, rejo- re- they had this reference to gentle flowing um, is just this quiet, they didn't want a quiet confidence in the Lord anymore. They did not trust him. And we learn that they're actually rejoicing over um, what happened to their two foes, Rezin and Ramallah. Um, and Isaiah's uh, speaking to them reveals that the Lord will actually give them what they so desire. An alliance with Assyria, as I said, will be a mistake. And look at the language. Instead of a gently flowing water of a stream or, or a, of a wellspring giving them much needed water, they will face the mighty flood, floodwaters of the Euphrates. The mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates. You've all seen images of flooding, I'm sure, on the news. It will burst its banks and it will come rushing like a torrent. It will be swirling. You continue to read. It'll be swirling around them. And just think of the, what they're leaving, the gentle waters, and what they're getting into cahoots with as the waters swirl, and it says here, up to the necks of the people. In short, turning your back on the way of the Lord is catastrophic. And this will be easy for um, uh, Assyria, they, it, its reach will cover the breadth of your land like an eagle. They will be easy prey. But I love the end of verse 8 because who owns the land? Emmanuel. 
Whatever happens, this is still the land of Emmanuel. This is the land of God with us. It is he alone who determines who will reign over it. This is the very land that will one day see the birth of the Lord Jesus. The birth of God with us. But note that the Lord is quite capable of giving people over to their own desires when they turn away from him, so that he may be glorified. And the warning continues as we read through verses 9 and 10. Raise the war cry. Do what you like. Do your worst, but you can't win. Gather your troops. Call upon your allies. Make your strategies. Devise your plans. But in the end... They will not prevail. And in fact, worse than that, they will be shattered. Whatever you do against the Lord's will will not stand. Why? Because God is with us. You see, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It still remains true. And I love this. And I love, it's a lifetime's work to be a student of the Bible. But this, and we don't have time, but this is revealed to be true. And if I could spoil it a little bit for you, if you, you should read what happens when Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, comes on the throne. And when him and um, Isaiah form a tag team on behalf of the Lord, and they go to meet the Assyrian king of the time. And the difference between Ahaz and Hezekiah could be summed up in Hezekiah's CV, which is this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his forefather David had done. Ahaz has led his people on a path of destruction. But God is with us. He still will deliver on his promises to his people. And then you see back in uh, the second part of this passage, uh, verse 11, uh, the Lord's strong hand is upon me, says Isaiah. He, it's like, you know, he's, he's almost like he's snatched, like he's gripped firm. That's what he's communicating here. And the Lord is saying to him, don't waste your time in being embroiled in the surrounding conspiracies of the day. So imagine what the country would have been like. Who's going to invade? Who's, who's next on our borders? And they're distracted all the time. And Isaiah, the word to the Isaiah is don't allow what man fears to overtake your thinking. Isn't that true for us today? That we are easily distracted by what's going on in the world. It's only the Lord Almighty, verse 13 tells us, who is to be feared. But it is easy, all too easy, to make the affairs of the world, the world bigger than our Lord. If you think about it, I don't know, if in, in the last week, for example, if you looked at any kind of social media news feed or the TV or... Whatever way you get your news, it's been dominated by Christmas parties and planned protests against 
Christmas parties in the government, noise after noise after noise. Our heads are easily turned. But the truth is, it doesn't matter which party is in power. Because God is with us. And his ways will be done. We learn more about the appeal of the Lord in verse 14. He will be um, a holy place, a sanctuary for those who put their trust in him, a place of refuge. But that's not true for the people who don't trust him because he'll become a stumbling block. Just look at the language again. A stumbling block, something to trip over. Look at the language further down. It says he will be a snare, a trap. How accurate a prophecy this is. If we were to jump to the New Testament, Paul writing to the churches in Rome in the ninth chapter quotes from Isaiah 8, 14. Um, Describe where the, using this verse where the prophet describes the, lock, the Lord as a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling to all of Israel. Paul is insisting that what he's telling the church in, in Rome at the time is not a new idea that the people of God, the Jewish people, would struggle to accept that righteousness is only found through faith in him, in Christ ultimately. And then we go further. Verse 15. Wow. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Many. That's a warning. A sober warning. In Matthew's gospel in the seventh chapter, Jesus explains that many who said they did this in his name and that in his name will not actually enter the kingdom of heaven. God is not duped by lip service or false testimony or false piety like that of King Ahaz. He is looking for submissive hearts, much like we see Isaiah here before us. This is a testimony of warning, verse 16 tells us. So bind it up. Hold fast to it. Hold fast to this message, to this word. And that's what this word is every week to us. When we sing it, pray it, teach it, proclaim it. It's precious. It really does deal with matters of life and death. And Isaiah's um, response, verse 17, such a beautiful key verse in this passage. I will wait for the Lord. I will put my trust in him. What a contrast to the world around him. I will risk all that I have to trust in God's word. I love Isaiah's faith. It is living and active. You see his obedience throughout this whole passage. He wants to be used by the the Lord. 
I read a phrase this week um, in an article I was reading in regard to faith. It says we need to risk it or it will rust. Risk or rust. And I love this. I love that Isaiah knows who the Lord is and he risks looking stupid. He risks not following along with the ways of the world. Unlike Ahaz, who if he knew the Lord, his faith has rusted or dissipated. And we end this chapter with Isaiah proclaiming, Here I am with my children. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty. For me, it's an echo of that great passage in Isaiah 6. When, I, when, you know, when Isaiah is just blown away by his encounter with God, the man of unclean lips, and he shouts, I, I, send me. He still wants to do it. And he wants to lead his family in that way. Here I am with my children. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty. What a powerful picture. Amidst a people who are distracted by the noise of the world, by the things that are least of less importance in the surrounding culture, one family is standing together, pointing to something greater. Their everyday life. Here's my son, Maharshala Hashbaz. They don't conform to the pattern of the, of the world. Instead, they live to reveal God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. What an encouragement for us today who trust in the Lord Jesus to live life like that. <laughs> to live life His way, the way of grace. Those songs we sang, they're amazing. They're amazing because they're true, right? To live life, a life of love, and to champion justice because it pleases the Lord. Before, I, I love, you know, Everyone's looking forward to Christmas. We heard that earlier. Before we get there, um, I just, before we cover up the true meaning of Christmas with wrapping paper and lights and tinsel, it's good for us to sit before the Lord with passages like 7, 8, and 9 in Isaiah. And remind ourselves the significance of the coming of God to earth. What did our heavenly father do when he wanted to catch the attention of the whole of humanity? Think about this. He came and dwelt among us. Born of a virgin in lowly Bethlehem, the humblest of births, but it was the greatest sign of his love and compassion for his people. 
What did God do to warn us to turn back and be reconciled with him forever? As has already been mentioned, he, he goes to the cross to pay the price that we cannot pay. The cross? Surely not. That's not how you and I would have done it. Not the cross. And Paul captures this bigger point better than I do. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Further on he says, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is a sign of foolishness and the very stumbling block that Isaiah is talking about. But for for us who believe, like Isaiah, it is a sign of the power and wisdom of God. Don't allow the world to rub out the truth of this time the time that we celebrate. It is becoming offensive. It has become, it's not becoming, it has become offensive to have any hint of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus on any Christmas card. We've changed the name in a Western way from Christmas holidays to just holidays. Don't, allow ourselves to be turned by the world and its agenda. What did God do when he wanted us? Let's remember, what did God do when he wanted to reassure us that we'd been set free from the penalty of sin? He rose from the dead and gave us the sign of the empty tomb. What did Jesus do when he wanted us to remember that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us this very day, he ascended into heaven. And right now, right this second, sits at the right hand of the Father, the promised king, interceding on your behalf and my behalf. Isn't that amazing? How glorious and good is our God. It is amazing to me that Ahaz in this great line of David is, you know, with all the testimonies that would have been handed down from father to son. It is amazing to me on one level that he has turned away from the things of God and has started to trust in the what, you know, to scheme for himself and to work out a route to please the world when he's forgotten how glorious and good our God is. And, I, and, and this is kind of where we're at this morning. We want to stop before this passage and think about ourselves. Do we remember how good God is? Do we know that everything belongs to him? All the silver, all the gold, all the cattle on a thousand hills, And guess what? He delights in sharing it with us. We don't need to turn to the way of the world. We don't need to follow the patterns of the culture. 
We sang about it a couple of songs this morning. In John's account of God with us, in, in the incarnation account at the beginning of John's gospel, we are reminded that the Lord, the Lord Jesus is grace upon grace. This is who Ahaz and the people of the time were rejecting. But this for us is an encouragement. He's grace upon grace. This God that can allow superpowers to overcome people to, so that his plans and purposes will be worked out. He did it then and he's doing it now. He, he's just at the same time generous and kind and gracious and one of the things that blew my mind when I was preparing this sermon is this, you know, you, you start off by looking at Assyria as this evil superpower that doesn't deserve anything. And they're just going to come in and do whatever they want, take or plunder the, as Maharshala Hashbaz's name describes, they're going to take whatever they like. They're going to do it quickly. They can pray on whoever they want. Why would you do anything good for Assyria? I wouldn't. But when I look at God's word, I don't just read Isaiah 8 on its own. I look at the rest of Isaiah or the rest of God's word. And I'm blown away that the God that Ahaz rejected, the God that the Assyrians didn't know then, that same God sends a prophet to them. He sends a reluctant prophet called Jonah. And you have this incredible, in the heart of the Assyrian Empire, in the city of Nineveh, you have a king say, let everyone call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn us from his fierce angers so that we will not perish. You have a God who cares about stuff that we don't even care about. How can I bring this to a close? In, in this room, there may be some young people or people who have been coming along to Kingfisher who don't yet fully know the Lord Jesus. And that's great. You're in the right place. You're in the right place to sing about, to hear about the good news of the Lord Jesus. But at the same time, you might still be living life according to the exhausting expectations of the world around you, at work, at school, with your friends and your community. And I want to just say to you that those expectations are truly exhausting and they lead you to nothing but anxiety and fear. Fear that you're not good enough. Fear that you don't know enough. Fear that you don't have enough. Fear that you don't fit in. Fear in not being successful in your career. Fear causing you to hide away and worry. Ahaz was a man full of fear. God offered him a way out and he wouldn't listen. us. If you're feeling anxious or worried, the antidote to your fear is the truth that we've heard today. God is with us.
The truth is, if you fear the Lord, you will have nothing to fear in life. And what I mean by fear, by the way, is trust and obey. And I would encourage you, if you're still trying to work this out, I would encourage you to try it out. Listen to the Lord Jesus when he says, come and I will give you rest. Come away from the noise of the world. Come away from the fears and anxieties that you're struggling with. And I will give you rest. And then maybe as I come to a close, for some of us who do believe, maybe this morning you've arrived here and you realize you've got off course. You and your household are maybe no longer living as signs and symbols of the Lord Almighty. You might not even be doing that in your home. But God is gracious. God is with us. For those who are stumbling in faith at this moment in time, what a great word to us, Emmanuel. God is with us. For those who are waiting, God is with us. For those who are clinging on by their fingers, perhaps, God is with us. Don't allow the world to wrap up Christmas in such a way that we no longer remember God with us. Our attitude to this, to the message of the gospel, our attitude to Jesus himself determines our spiritual well-being. The Lord is a sanctuary to those who place their trust in him. He's a place of refuge and peace and security to those who believe. Let me just pray for us as I close. Heavenly Father, give us, uh, um, enlarge our hearts to um, fully comprehend who you are. Use this passage, Lord, to give us a, a bigger insight into your sovereign ways. Help us, Lord, to um, realize that you care about us enough to um, lead us uh, out of patterns that cause us fear or anxiety. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, Lord, to not be uh, overcome by messages that look to exclude you from our everyday life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.